Improvement Trust as model housing for working-class families. But by the time the Connollys moved into half of the third floor of 65 Dover Street in Anderston, many of them had deteriorated into rotting slums that would need more than a spot of paint to take the bad look off them, as Billy would say. The classically derived elevations in red or yellow sandstone were usually pleasant enough, but inside a dingy central staircase stinking of cabbage and cat piss spiralled upwards to the flats. Two or more pokey apartments were squeezed into each floor, usually with just two rooms apiece and a communal bathroom out on the landing. Some families were lumbered with the coffin end or corner apartment, which was even smaller than the rest. The buildings themselves butted right out onto the street and were usually entered via an interior alleyway known as a close. The Wally Closers, as some were called, were beautifully tiled halfway up the wall, with a leafy motif running along the top. Such finery, however, ended abruptly at the threshold of a darker, often treacherous tunnel known as the Dunny, short for dungeon, that dead-ended in an enclosed rear courtyard, itself a veritable assault course of broken bicycles, flapping knickers, and reeking middens. Considering it now through a haze of nostalgia, Billy says the Glasgow tenement is a New York brownstone without a fire escape. Well, some of the buildings certainly had grandeur, and like their New York counterparts, are now sought after by the well-to-do. Billy's first home was not one of those. The Dover Street flat had only two rooms, a kitchen living room with a niche where the children slept, and another room for their parents. The entire family bathed in the kitchen sink, and there was no hot water at all. As an enduring legacy of his early cramped existence, Billy is now quite uncomfortable in large living spaces. He sighs over the phone to me from fabulous hotels all over the world. They've gone and upgraded me again. Bloody presidential suite this time. It's a genuine problem for him. He's never really liked our Los Angeles house because of its unfamiliar spaciousness. As an infant, William Connolly Jr. was a blonde, brown-eyed puddin with a face that would get a piece at any windy, as they say in Glasgow, if you look pitiful enough to score free sandwiches. He was a war baby, born on the 24th of November in 1942, just as his father was preparing to leave for Burma. At 23 years old, William Connolly Sr. had been conscripted into the Royal Air Force, a fate that interrupted his career as an optical instrument maker at Barr and Stroud's. He always considered himself very lucky to have been accepted as an apprentice at that firm. If he'd not been ducks of St. Peter's School in Partick, he might have been one of the many jobless victims of the rampant anti-Irish feeling that existed all round Glasgow at that time. His father, Jack, was an Irishman whose family members were among the seven million victims of the potato famine, grinding poverty, and relentless discrimination who'd been emigrating from Ireland since the 17th century. Many had sailed to the United States and Canada, but Jack's Connemara-born family had sailed to Scotland and settled in Glasgow in the 1920s. It was probably the better choice. The average length of life for Irish refugees who reached the Americas was six years after landing. The American streets were not paved with gold after all, but rather Irish immigrants were expected to pave the streets themselves and to do so for very low wages. 
In Glasgow in the 1930s, when Billy's father was looking for work, notices hung in places where jobs were available for Protestants only. The one outside Bar and Stroud's was only a little less overt than usual. Apprentices wanted, it read, Boys' Brigade Welcome. Being Catholic and half-Irish, William had not been a candidate for membership of the staunchly Protestant Boys' Brigade, an organization founded with evangelical zeal in the previous century by one William Smith, who wished to promote health, constructive activity, and a moral soundness among Glaswegian youth. William, born in 1919, was the youngest child after Charlie, John, James, Margaret, and Mona, while a younger sister named Mary died of tuberculosis when she was only eight. William himself was a sickly child, spoiled by his mother and bossed by his oldest sister, Mona. He had problems with his eyes and was passionate about football, insisting on the supremacy of the Celtic team until the day he died.